All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is a place where you can say what you want, as long as you got them facts. First things first, today I wanted to get into some college basketball. I wanted to go over the top 25. We are at a point in the season where I can kind of break down each and every team just a little bit, and then I want to get into the scores from last night, and then I'll be getting into the MLB. Just a few headlines from there, most notably, Shea Otani's move to the Dodgers, and just an overall update on what's going on in terms of trades, and of course free agency and then i want to wrap things up with a word on the street segment we're going to start things off on the international scene of course pretty much a what's up on what's going on in the middle east and then i'm going to finally finish things off on the home front of course it's 2024 that means it's election year and there's another saga well another piece to the never ending trump saga that i did want to get into so uh you know if you like what you heard today please be sure to check me out on spotify i have a youtube channel uh with the same name as the podcast as well never out of bounds please be sure to check that out as well and then i'll be leaving a link uh to my uh, instagram within the description of this episode please be sure to follow me there as well for you know of course updates and all that good stuff so without further ado let's go ahead and get into it all right so let's get into that top 25 and at number 25 this week we have auburn at 11 and 2 and conference play starts this weekend for them on the road at arkansas currently they're 24th and scored at almost 85 points per game and for johnny broom is a big part of that with almost 16 points per game he leads the team and he's also shooting at about 56 percent from the field they're also 12th in assists at 19 uh, 19 a game and guard aiden holloway leads the team there with almost four a game at number uh 24 we have Gonzaga at 9-4. and four. They're down 11 spots from last week, pretty much uh, because of that loss that they suffered at the hands of San Diego State's 84-74. to 74. For Graham Ike, uh, will lead the team with a double-double, 20 points and 10 assists, but overall, it'll be a rough shooting night for the Bulldogs. 42% from the field, 26% from three. They would also give up 13 turnovers, and they never really had a substantial lead at any point throughout the entirety of that game. But at number 23, we have Providence at 11 and two their last game was a w uh, against a conference rival that being butler 85 to 75 was the final score they're currently first in the big east at two and oh but they're currently uh in the midst of a big game as we speak versus seton hall who's a sneaky good team just about every year uh but for the friars they're 10th in defensive rating so a better defensive team uh in the nation at 89.5 they're riding a four game winning streak but they're also 11th in blocks as well with almost six a game at number 20 we have Ole Miss here. They're undefeated at 13-0. They have one win versus the top 25 so far, uh, and that was against number 15 Memphis by 3-80-77, if I'm not mistaken. That was earlier in December. Uh, but senior guard Matthew Miro leads the team with 17 points per game. He also has four rebounds and almost three assists. We also have a uh, junior guard, a transfer, Jalen Murray. Uh, he would uh, he would he was playing at St. Peter's last year, averaging over. 12 points per game, but he's been able to up that uh, since coming to the Rebels with almost 14, uh, almost, yeah, over 14 points per game on 40% shooting from three. And uh, just to mention it, uh, you know, the Rebels are a top, you know, at least a top 10 three-point shooting team uh, converting on about 40 
over 40% of their attempts. So they have some positive things going for them. They also uh, have some positive things going for them defensively as well. I think in terms of like field goal percentage allowed and things like that. But at number 21, we have Wisconsin here at 9-3. and three. They would get their first conference win last night versus Iowa. They would outscore the Hawkeyes 51-40 to 40 in the second half with Tyler Wall leading the way for the Badgers. 19 points, 8 assists. Guard A.J. Store would help out as well with 16 total points. We also had four total players uh, scoring in double digits. And overall for Wisconsin, they would shoot above 50% from the field last night. They would also force nine steals and 14 turnovers. Now in number 20, we do have Texas at 10 and 2. Uh, they currently are averaging about 79.8 points per game, 37th in terms of field pro field goal percentage, excuse me, at almost 50%. They're being led by senior guard Max Abmus at uh, 17 points per game, uh, over two rebounds, also also over four assists. Uh, he's also getting help from Tyrese Hunter this season uh, at about over 12 points, two rebounds, and also over four assists as well. We also got Dylan, uh, Dylan Mitchell, Caton Cedric, both scoring over 11 points per game. And Dylan Mitchell also leads the team in rebounds with over nine. At number 19, we have James Madison. Uh, they were pretty good at football this season. They seem to be pretty good at basketball, too. They're also undefeated. Uh, they're currently first in scoring at over 92 points per game. They're 17th in offensive rating, also 18th in field goal percentage at uh, almost 50% as well. Uh, they're also 26 in terms of assists with almost 17, actually almost 18 per game. So a pretty solid team offensively. Moving on to number 18, we have Baylor. They're currently 10 and 2. They're 500 against the top 25. They do have a win against Auburn. That was the first win of the season, uh, but they will go on to lose against Duke. Duke by uh, 8. And uh, they're currently ninth in terms of scoring at about 88 points per game. Jacoby Walker uh, is a good part of that. Uh, 15 points on 44% shooting. But with that being said, outside of Duke, outside of Auburn, they haven't really played too much anybody, but going into the Big 12, uh, normally it's one of the better conferences out there in terms of hoops, of course, so this will be a good test for them. But like I said, outside of Auburn, Duke, nobody really to speak of, so they're 500 against the top 25, but they'll get a lot more top 25 action within their conference. So at number 17, we have Florida Atlantic. Uh, they are currently 11-3. and three. Uh, They will get a win last night, but uh, you know they did drop a few spots because last week they would take a L. 68-72 at Florida Golf Course, uh, Golf Course, Golf Coast. I don't know why I couldn't get that out right, but Golf Coast, uh, who's currently 6-9, and nine, uh, that would drop them down 10 spots in that game. Uh, terrible shooting, to say the least, from Florida Atlantic. Well, at least not so great from the field, 41%, but really bad from three, just 20%. So that wasn't going to get it done, but I will go over last night's win uh, for the Owls in just a little bit. But at number 16, we do have Clemson. Uh, they're currently 500 against the top 25. Uh, they do have a win against what well, they did have a win against Bama, who once was in the top 25, uh, but they did take an L at Memphis. So technically, uh, they just have the one loss against the top 25. Uh, like I said, to Memphis, 79 to 77. Uh, but you know they've turned some things around. Uh, they're currently one of the leaders in their conference, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know one of the top teams in their conference. Uh, but they will be facing off against Miami later on tonight 
this should be a good matchup. Miami is 10-2. Uh, but one of the leaders for this Tigers team is going to be center P.J. Hall, averaging over 20 points per game at on over 56% shooting. So 56% shooting. So look out for him. Uh, he should be making an impact in tonight's game, win or lose. At number 15, we do have Memphis. Uh, they've had a relatively schedule, relatively easy, easy schedule so far. Uh, they're currently 11-2. They do have one win against the top 25. Uh, their conference schedule is just going to get even easier. Their toughest test might be, of course, Florida Atlantic, who they will face off against twice. Uh, like I said, they're currently 11-2. and two. Uh, This team, you know, just with how they've looked, you know, they – it looks like they can run the table in their conference. Again, again, Florida Atlantic could be a test for them. But, again, with the way they played, they look – like they could, like I said, I I don't mean to keep saying it, but they look like they could run the table. But I'm not too sure how if they're that great of a tournament team. I that's what I wanted to get out there. I don't I don't see them going that far. I don't see I don't feel that this team has been really tested as of yet. That's what the main point is here. So uh, at number 14, we have Duke at 10 and 3, currently 35th in terms of scoring, 83, uh, over 83 points per game. They're riding a five-game winning streak. They would get a win last night against Syracuse uh, by, I think, about 20 points. Uh, at number 13, we do have Colorado State here, 12 and 1. They're riding a three-game winning streak. Uh, they do lack a signature win, in my opinion, right now. Uh, Creighton recently fell off the map in terms of the top 25. Uh, that would have been a solid win that you know that you could put there uh, had Creighton still been the rankings or even risen. Uh, but for now, like I said, they lack that win. Uh, but they're 24th in scoring, uh, tied around the top 25. Uh, they are averaging about 84, a little bit over 84 points per game. Uh, but they're also third in the nation in terms of assists with over 21 a game. And guard Isaiah Stevens is a big part of what's going on with their offense. Over 17 points a game for him, also over seven assists on you know 53% actually over 53% shooting so a really solid guard there he's able to dish the ball out to the rest of their guys and they've looked relatively good against competition that they should beat you know they're a power five conference well not necessarily a power five conference but I guess one of those you know yeah you know I guess because they're in the mountain west long story short they're looking good against teams that you would think that they probably should blow out that's the main thing i want to say here but again time will tell if they you know if they remain one of these top t near top 10 teams but at number 12 we have byu here uh they're sixth in scoring averaging about 90 points per game they're first in assists averaging about 22 over 22 they're also averaging about 44 rebounds a game which is good enough for seven in the nation so this this team is pretty much um balanced they do a lot of good things uh a lot of good things i guess you could say a, a lot of things well you know in terms of again defense well more so offense of course uh but anyways they would get a win in their last game versus wyoming 94 to 68 uh number 11 uh we do have oklahoma here if i'm not mistaken they are 11 and 2 as well averaging about 82 points per game guard ortega Oway is the leading scorer here 15 points a game for him over 15 points a game for him on over 64% shooting from the field. So, uh, really solid uh, shooting guard there. At number 
10, we have Arizona. They dropped off a few spots, actually six to be exact. They would take an ugly loss. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was on Monday, uh, 82 to 100 at Stanford, just to open up Pac-12 play. Not a good look, but guard Keenan Carlisle would lead the team in that uh, lead the team in scoring in that matchup. 28 points of him, eight rebounds. Uh, actually, this will be the leading scorer for Stanford. I take that back. He led all players in terms of scoring. Let me take that back. Uh, eight rebounds, four uh, players in double digits for Stanford. Uh, again, nothing to speak of from Arizona on the road. I, I'm surprised it didn't drop further, but again... It is what it is. At number nine, Illinois, uh, they got a win uh, last night versus their in-state rival, Northwestern. Uh, they're currently 11-2, up two spots from last week. They're 2-0. Actually, yes, 2-0 to start off the Big Ten play. Uh, Terrence Shannon, uh, their team's leading store, 21, over 21 points a game, almost 22, over 51% shooting from the field. Uh, they're also fifth in the nation in terms of rebounding. They have struggled against the top 25, though. They're just 1-2. But again, their conference is kind of loaded as well. Uh, so they'll have an opportunity to, you know, get that back and improve their resume. Uh, but they're already, you know, pretty much they're already a top 10 team, but they'll solidify their spot going into, uh, you know, a potential tournament uh, tournament. I guess seating, you know, situation. At number eight, we have uh, North Carolina at ten and three. Uh, they are currently fifteenth in scoring at over eighty-six. At number seven, we have Marquette. Again, another battle-tested squad right now. Five games versus the top twenty-five. Three and two versus the top twenty-five. So really solid there. Their last game was a W versus Creighton. Creighton was recently in the top twenty-five. Just to kind of show you just how deep they go. Uh, they also. Oh yeah, this win would also kick be the one to kick Creighton out the top twenty-five. By the way, so again, Marquette getting it done. If I'm not mistaken, riding a significant winning streak as well. So, you know, good basketball to say the least out there. But at number six, we have Kentucky at ten and two, over ninety points a game is what they're scoring. That's fifth in the nation. Uh, they're currently tenth in assists as well. Antonio Reeves leads the team in scoring, uh, nineteen points per game on over 52% shooting from the field. At number five, we have Tennessee here at nine and three. A six-game winning streak is what they got right now. Uh, one of their biggest wins uh, in that uh, streak is 86 to 79 over Illinois. So again, uh, that's pretty much solidifies where they're at right now. Their conference play does begin this weekend versus Ole Miss. That should be a sneaky good matchup with the way Ole Miss uh, shoots and the way Tennessee can play some defense. At number uh, four, we have UConn here, 12 and two currently right now. Three wins versus the top 25, rather impressive. Uh, they're two and one in conference play though. Uh, you know. And then at number three, we have Houston here at 13-0. Again, I'm surprised they're up so high. Uh, you know, I, I can't see who they've beaten. That's That's been all that great. No wins versus the top 25. I'm a little bit on iffy on them. Uh, they score around 80, over 85 points a game. So they're, I believe they're top 10 or at least top 20 in terms of that. Uh, top 20 in terms of points allowed, again, defensive rating. But again, if you look at that schedule uh, and their strength of schedule, 
it's not, in my opinion, just right now, it's not really there. But if I'm not mistaken, they're also in the Big 12 in terms of basketball as well. So they're going to get those tests later on in the season. And number two, we have Kansas here at 12 and 1, 3 and 1 versus the top 25, eight wins in a row. Uh, they're being led by guard Kevin McCullough Jr., averaging over 20 points a game. Again, just like I would say with any other Big 12 team, uh, their biggest, you know, their biggest challenges are going to be within conference play. That's just, there's no way around it. Just like with Purdue here in the Big Ten, 13-1 right now. Uh, they have no losses against the top 25, uh, but they took one weird loss at Northwestern, 92-88. to So again, that just kind of shows you just how good and maybe you know deep uh the big 10 is to say at least because they do have a few ranked teams uh that we did mention uh they're currently two and one in conference play uh they're riding a six game winning streak and this includes wins at bama uh and versus arizona uh they're currently 86 uh they're averaging 86 points a game which is good enough for 13th in the nation they're 19th in assists uh they're top 30 in rebounds as well so again another balanced team here uh get a few they get a few different things done very well and uh, they've again they've won all their top 25 matchups which is good again I don't know where this loss to Northwestern came from I have to study this one uh, get to the bottom of that because that seems to be a weird loss I don't see why this team isn't undefeated uh, with how good they've looked against other competition again maybe the Big Ten is just that deep this year and I just Again, I'm just now getting into all this, so I'm going to be figuring this all out. And we're in conference play, so there you go. Uh, so anyways, uh, let's take a look at some of the scores last night. Now, I did wait a little bit for Wednesday night's action to wrap up because there were two interesting games, like I mentioned before, Seton Hall in Providence and Miami Clemson uh, that were pretty good, you know, that I didn't want to overlook. So uh, in order to kind of give you guys a better a better idea of what's going on in the top 25 uh, this week, I decided to, you know, cover these games as well. And then I am going to get into Tuesday, Tuesday night's action uh, as well, just to, again, just to kind of give you guys a better, uh, you know, idea of what's going on with the top 25 of course this week but uh for that wednesday top 25 action we do have seton hall getting an upset win against providence 60 to 57 was the final score seton hall improves to nine and five at providence uh likely to drop out of the rankings depending on what happens the rest of this week uh they dropped to 11 and three now for seton hall the pirates were led by Kadari richmond 16 points for him Eight rebounds, six assists. He would also get help from forward Dre Davis with 17 points and three rebounds. And then guard uh, Dylan Aday Wusu and also forward L. Amir Dawes would both score 12 points. Uh, Aday Wusu would end up with a double double, getting 11 rebounds as well. Now, for uh, Providence, excuse me, forward Josh Aduro would lead the way, actually lead all scores with 23 points. He would also get three rebounds, but he would not get enough help on the offensive side side forward Devin Carter will be your next leading scorer for the Friars just 10 points uh, but he will get 10 assists as well as six uh, sorry six rebounds sorry 10 rebounds as well as six uh, six assists sorry couldn't get that out the first time but we did uh, but anyways moving on to some ACC action I was not surprised by this result though I kind of figured Clemson was due for a game like this uh, Miami gets the best of them 95 to 82 is the final score both teams 
teams are at 11 and 2 for Clemson. They were led by guard Joseph Gerard III. He will get you 18 points, five assists, and two rebounds. We mentioned him before. PJ Hall, the forward, uh, again a factor in this one despite them getting the L uh, he will get you 17 points and six rebounds and then guard Chase Hunter uh, will get you four assists as well as three assists uh, sorry four rebounds three assists I'm sorry uh, as well as I believe I think it was 12 points don't hold me to that I could be off by one or two but for Miami uh, they were led by guard Nigel Pack 25 points from him he will leave all he will lead both teams in terms of scoring five rebounds three assists uh, we also got guard Matthew Cleveland as well as Ford uh, Norshond Omir uh, both getting 23 points each Cleveland would add four assists and four rebounds to his total, and an Ormir would get you six rebounds to add to his totals. Excuse me. Now for Miami, uh, they would shoot 53% from the field. They also uh, shoot above 45% from the three, damn near at 46%. They also controlled uh, the uh, advantage on the boards with 36. They would also get you 19 assists, as well as they play some solid defense with seven total steals. Seven total steals. Excuse me. Uh, they will also force 11 turnovers. Now, it was a tale of two halves as well, with Clemson holding a six-point lead at uh, halftime, but they would go on to give up 60 points in the second half. Miami blew the roof off the motherfucker, and Clemson had no answers starting relatively immediately. Uh, like I said, Miami controlled the boards in the second half. They began to shoot a lot better in the second half. Everything began to fall. We can look at the numbers and see that that happened. And again, like I told you, Clemson hadn't really played nobody just yet in Miami you know again coming in there with 10 wins at least coming in there tonight Wednesday night uh, with 10 wins look to be a team that could you know give Clemson a run for their money again I'm not surprised by the result I know some people might be you know but Miami is pretty damn tough. But like I said, I will go over Tuesday's scores as well. Uh, we have Connecticut here. They get it done against DePaul. 85 to 56 was the final score. DePaul drops to 3 and 10. It was a big first half for the Huskies. They would outscore DePaul 38 to 19. Uh, Cam Spencer was a big part of that. Uh, he would get you 20.6 rebounds. Alex Caravan would help as well. 17 points and 17, and sorry, 7 rebounds as well as a couple assists. And for DePaul, excuse me, that was DePaul. So actually for uh, Connecticut, uh, Stephen Castle, Hassan Daar will be the team's leading scorers with 14 points each. Uh, they would also get uh, seven rebounds, that being for, sorry, five rebounds for Castle, seven assists for him as well. Uh, DR would get you five assists and, f uh, sorry, five rebounds. Uh, the Huskies will shoot 58% from the field, 46 uh over 46% from three. They would also get 23 assists. They would force 10 turnovers. They would also get eight blocks. So a good game on uh, both sides of the ball. They just did not have a, you know, a, a, I guess a superstar score that night, but you know, it was a team effort and they got it done. Now, East Carolina, they will come up short against Florida Atlantic 64 to 79. Uh, East Carolina drops to seven and seven, 500 on a year. And Florida Atlantic gets, you know, gets some juice back from that loss, uh, you know, against Gulf Coast. Now for ECU, they were led by Ford Brandon Johnson. He would get you 15 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, but for Florida Atlantic, they were led by their two guards, John L. Davis 
as well as Elijah Martin. They would both get 20 points. Uh, Davis would add six rebounds and three assists to his totals. Martin would get you five rebounds and four assists. Now, uh, for the Owls, they would shoot 48% from three. Sorry, 48% from the field, 42% from three. Uh, they also had a slight edge on the boards as well. Now, we have uh, North Carolina. They will get it done against Pittsburgh, 70 to 57. Pretty easy uh, matchup there. We have Norfolk State, uh, sorry, Norfolk State. They take a loss here to Tennessee, 50 to 87. We also have Purdue here getting it done in some Big Ten action against Maryland, 67 to 53 is the final score for Purdue. They were led by Zach Eady. He's their main scorer, 23 points on him, 12 rebounds. He also got help from Brandon Smith, 14 points from him, seven rebounds, six assists. And the Boilermakers did much of their damage in the first half out scoring the Terrapins 32 to 19. They would also do a great job defensively, holding Maryland to just 33% shooting from the field and 22% from three. They would also hold the advantage on the glass, uh, again with 39 rebounds. Now for Maryland, they were led by guard Jameer Young. He will lead both teams in scoring though, 26 with 26. He also get four rebounds, but he just would not, get, he could not get any other help uh, outside of four. Uh, Jordan Geronimo who would get nine points and six rebounds. Baylor got a win over Cornell, 98 to 79. Illinois, as we Illinois, as we mentioned before, got a win over their in-state rival, 96 to 66 over Northwestern. Duke blew out Syracuse again, an easy matchup for them, 86 to 66. We have Auburn here getting an easy win against a non-conference opponent. Things will pick up for them in terms of their strength of schedule starting this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. As we mentioned, 88 to 68, and then we have. New Mexico. Uh, they get a lot. They take a loss here to Colorado State, 76 to 68. Uh, this is one of the better teams, in my opinion, that Colorado had faced uh, has faced off against this season. In this one, uh, for Patrick Carter will lead the way for the Rams with 21 points, four assists, and two uh, sorry four rebounds and two assists. And then guard Isaiah Stevens will get 18 points and eight assists. Four total players for Colorado State will score in double digits in this one, and they will shoot almost 50% from the field on Tuesday. So Colorado got it done earlier in the week. Uh, Colorado State got it done earlier in the week. That's what I meant to say. Uh, they looked pretty solid and this is what you have in the top 25 you know right now uh, you know you know some things have remained the same we have had some upsets as usual uh, and then we had some teams redeem themselves at least you know for this week you know with Florida Atlantic getting it done uh, but anyways I'm gonna take a quick break my first break and then we'll get back with some MLB headlines of course we're gonna be talking Shea Otani we're gonna be talking some possible relocation at least a new city that we haven't mentioned just yet in you know terms of relocation talks and then of course there is some rule changes on the way from the upcoming upcoming baseball season we're going to talk about all that in just a little bit all right y'all i hope you guys are enjoying this so far i'll be right back
right, I am back. Let's get into some headlines from around Major League Baseball. Uh, first things first, Shea Otani signs a 10-year deal with the Dodgers worth up to $700 million. This is the largest contract in sports history. Uh, but in the first stage of his contract, he will uh, have some of that or a lot of that money deferred. He'll just be making over $2 million over the next few years. And that was a way for the Dodgers to kind of keep that payroll open to continue making splashes over free agency. And we'll talk about a few of those uh, a few more of those pickup uh, pickups in just a little bit. But for Shea Otani last year offensively, it was a great year. 304 batting average, 44 home runs, 95 RBIs, and 151 hits. He would go on to lead the eight. He would go on to win the AL MVP. In terms of his career, he has a 274 batting average, 366 on base percentage, and a 555 slugging percentage, as well as a 992 OPS, and then 171 RB. Uh, sorry, home runs. And uh, he's actually, you know, a Dual threat, dual threat player. In case you guys did not know, but I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, but last year he did suffer a Tommy John uh, injury. Uh, he needed surgery, and there's no definite uh, definite timeline for when he returns to pitching. Uh, but again, it did not affect his offensive stats or his MVP candidacy. Uh, one of the top young players in the league right now, and the Dodgers made a smart decision to get him, and they also made an even smarter decision by you know keeping that. Uh, that basically that payroll open to get some of these other guys. Now, they would also go ahead and get another superstar from the land of the rising sun, that being another pitcher here, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Uh, he was he signed a 12-year, $325 million contract with the club. And, uh, well, he's a three-time uh, reigning Japanese league MVP. He would go on to uh, win the league's top pitcher award last season as, as well, uh, posting an ERA of 165. So, really good on the mound uh really good scouting from the dodgers and again they're pulling some of these guys in they're tired of losing in the first and second round they want another deep run they want another chip and i understand i understand people been getting on them since 2020 so it is what it is. Now, L.A. would also acquire pitcher Tyler Glass now via trade with Tampa. Uh, he was spending the last five. He spent the last five seasons, of course, with the temp, with the with the Rays. Uh, he does have playoff and World Series experience. Uh, in that trade, uh, they also get outfielder Manuel Margot. Uh, he's headed to L.A. along with Glass now. So again, they're picking up some pieces. Again, looking well, well they would like to make a deep a playoff run next year. Now, uh, we have. Aaron Nola here. He was signed a seven-year contract with Philadelphia last year. He would go 12 and nine on the mound with a 4.46 ERA, 202 strikeouts. Of course, part of that World Series team. Uh, again. They're looking to keep some of those pieces intact, and I'm totally with it. Uh, we do have Juan Soto. He is on the move. Uh, he was traded from the Padres along with outfielder Trent Grisham for pitcher Michael King and also catcher Kyle. Uh, he got he got Shioka amongst some others. Uh, now, for Soto last year, he would have a 275 ERA. Uh, he would also have uh, 35 home runs and 109 RBIs. Uh, he finds his way uh, to he finds his way to New York, if I'm not mistaken. So, again, he's been on the move the past few years. He hasn't really had a solid home, uh, but again, he's a really solid hitter. So, you know, again, I don't know, maybe because of that that big contract he has, I think that might uh, be the biggest issue for him right now. Uh, you know, again, because I think when he signed uh, with 
with the Padres. I, if I'm not mistaken, that was a very uh, that was a pretty damn big contract. I think it was over like 200 something million, it, it, at least at the time. Uh, but again, again on the move again, and uh, who knows what happens? You know, uh, who knows what happens with him? And of course, like I said, Trent Grisham, uh, he's headed off uh, with him, and you know. It's just, it's just really weird to see a young guy, you know, he finds himself on the move like the past two or three years, two, three different teams. And again, solid player overall. I just it's just weird to me how they how some of these players find themselves with just so many different teams. Uh, he had 109 RBIs last year, 35 home runs. Again, I guess, you know, the Padres didn't see I guess with the amount of money that they're paying, you know, again, they're not having the success that they want. I guess that makes sense. Uh, a couple of the remaining free agents that we do have, uh, we have Cody Bellinger. Uh, he played last season with the Cubs. He had a 307 average, 881 OPS, 26 home runs, 97 RBIs. Uh, we have Matt Chapman as well. Uh, last season he was with the Blue Jays. He has yet to resign. We have Blake Snell here. Last year had a solid year on the mound, 2.25 ERA, 4.9 uh, record, and then he had 234 strikeouts. And and then we have Jordan Montgomery as well, uh, part of that World Series rotation for the Rangers. <clears throat> he still has yet to resign. He has still yet to find uh, a different squad. So again, those are the, some of the top remaining free agents out there. Uh, we will see how that all plays itself out. Now, uh, moving on to the new season, of course, we have some time until then, at least a couple more months. But there will be some rules implementing uh, going into this 24-2024 season. The league has decided to widen the runner's lane. Uh, this will not only keep fielders from blocking the base pass, it would also give right-handed hitters a straight path to first base. So it's making things a little bit easier. The whole thing right now is for MLB, they want to generate more excitement and they feel more the excitement is in offense and is in runs and it's also in a shorter quicker paced game i get it you know again in terms of the big three sports basketball football uh baseball mlb you could say is a, is a you know bottom third place really you could even say college football is a lot pop a lot more popular but again they're trying to do their best to stay uh you know stay relevant uh the committee also uh, has decided to reduce mound visits from five to four uh they also have a pitching clock that has been cut by two seconds so i believe down from 24 to 22 um uh, again going back to that that mound visit situation uh defensive players can also um, signal for a mound visit without even actually having to go up to the mound again cutting off time again the biggest thing is more runs, more offense, more excitement. But again, another big thing is less time consuming. Now, uh, commercial breaks have even been cut by just two minutes. That will be interesting because, again, that's the way that they get a lot of their ad revenue. We're cutting off a whole minute of that. Usually you have about three, three, three minutes you know, three and a half minute, you know, commercial break, sometimes up to four, depending on what's going on. But again, uh, they want to cut down on that. They want that game to go by faster. Again, they feel like that's what's going to get people excited again. Baseball is a weird sport to the point where, I, to be honest with you, outside of the, you know, pastoral nature of it, uh, the traditional nature of it, you know, I really couldn't tell you what, 
you know, brings people to it. Uh, there is a bit of excitement, of course, uh, even it being, you know, even though it's a slower paced game, because, of course, you have things like home runs. You can get, you know, really juiced off a, you know, a situation like a no hitter, things of that nature. So, again, there's things that drive people in it into this sport. Uh, but <clears throat> far be it from me to really kind of sit back and say this will work, this wouldn't work. Uh, I'm, I'm more to the point is whatever they think is going to work, that being MLB, go ahead and just get it get it out there let's see how people respond to it uh because to be honest with you you know not to say that i dislike baseball but at the same time it can be very time consuming and in many ways just a little bit boring particularly when your team <laughs> you know isn't that good so we'll we'll have to wait and see you know with how this uh you know, works itself out as well. Now, finally, we do have some expansion news to talk about. Uh, this was, you know, brought to my attention recently through, you know, just me coming across this. Uh, I had not known that uh, Utah is another one of those front runner cities in terms of possible MLB expansion. Uh, now, the, you know, expansion had been contingent on, you know, pretty much, you know, what happens with the city stadium situations uh, with the A's and also the Rays uh, ends up, you know, it ended up being that the A's are going to eventually move to Las Vegas. And of course, uh, Tampa, they will be getting themselves uh, a new stadium in a nearby city at some point in the near future. So with that out of the way, uh, MLB has become comfortable with opening up, you know, talks about, you know, of course, more relocation. Uh, one of the top cities have always has always been Nashville. And over the past few months, you've heard different cities pop up as a, you know, as another location. You've had Oakland pop up again. <clears throat> you've uh, also heard of Portland. Uh, but I did not know that, you know, going back all the way to about April, Salt Lake City put in their petition as well. Uh, and <clears throat> it seems like they have, they already have a group of, uh, they already have a group of investors already kind of set up. It's called Big League Utah, again, similar to the lines of, uh, what we, what we brought up again about a year, maybe a couple years back now, uh, with Russell Wilson and his group that he was a part of to bring baseball, uh, to the Portland, Oregon area. So a lot of these think tank groups are starting to pop up in these different cities again, investor groups uh, again former you know mlb players from the area people that have you know baseball ties to that area this is what these groups are consisting of and again it just was a little bit surprising uh to have utah kind of you know pop up out of nowhere i had not heard about them uh up until maybe a couple weeks ago as even being you know a possibility i've already heard about you know i had heard or, uh, stories about you know possibly uh mlb team returning to oakland i have heard Portland be thrown out there uh, a few different times. Of course, Nashville has always been a uh, city right for MLB relocation. They already have a great, well, they uh, have a well, at least a well-known, uh, you know, minor league team out there as well. So there's that connection. But again, just Utah was a surprise, a little bit of a smaller market. Uh, but again, I don't think you know, it, it can't support a baseball team that I think, if I'm not mistaken, they, of course, have the, the Utah Jazz there. Uh, they have a solid football, uh, college football fan base, if I'm not mistaken. The University of Utah is out there. Uh, <clears throat> they have an MLS team. I think it's Real Salt Lake, something like that. So they have some things going on. And I don't think, and I think baseball is the type of sport, let's be real here, it should fit that demographic. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. So, um, 
a little bit surprising again just because i hadn't even thought about this city i hadn't even heard about this city being brought up but again a little bit surprising but again they're in the mix uh but with that being said this will be time consuming and another mlb team or you know another two uh, you know, wouldn't be expected to hit the field until about 2028. Uh, it seems like the league wants to take their time. And I think that that makes sense because you've had situations in history. I want to break down just a, just a quick antidote about why possibly the MLB would want to take its time. About another four years to really do all this is because I know... <clears throat> A, a prime example of when they tried to rush this, of course, this was a, a long time ago, but uh, back when they first established originally the uh, uh, Seattle Mariners, uh, they did that in order to appease another owner, uh, owner uh, from the Kansas, uh, the Kansas City area. The A's had previously left, uh, and you know this guy from Kansas City, I think he was a congressman, he wanted baseball back in Kansas City. So long story short, he petitioned, he petitioned and all that, uh, but he was able to get a team back in Kansas City. And then again, they they added a team to uh, Seattle around the same time in about a two year span. And <clears throat> almost immediately, because they rushed these teams, and again, this is so long ago, I can't think of another situation in which they have, but just as a, you know, as an example, uh, both of those teams, the Royals, uh, which is what they eventually became in Kansas City, of course, we, you know, the Mariners, uh, they both struggled tremendously, not through just the first couple of seasons of them being a team, but almost, you know, decades, uh, particularly for Seattle, uh, you know, they barely could secure the funds, you know, to upgrade their stadium at, at many points in time. And, you know, because they were so rushed in the beginning, uh, they never had a proper chance to develop any ties to the city. Uh, it took a long time for that to happen. It took a long time for them to find success, uh, you know, consistent success. So, again, I think that's what the MLB is, you know, thinking about. They think about what happened to them, to certain teams in the past. And they want to take their time. They want to make sure that they, everything is in place. They want to make sure, you know, that there's proper funding. Teams are, you know, those cities are you know, on page of what's, you know, going to happen. There's so much into this, so I understand, you know, it's the league taking their time and as they should. We don't want to, you know, have any of these teams get sprout, you know, sprouted up super quick and, you know, they're not truly established. They have no farm system to think of and they're still struggling year 10, year 15 uh, since their arrival. I think the league definitely wants to avoid that. That would not help, you know, the league to, to have two new teams just come out the gate and they're just trash and they're trash for years. The league don't want that. All right, y'all. I'm going to take another quick break and I'm going to wrap everything up with a word on the street segment. We're going to go international first and then we're going to wrap things up with, you know, of course, like I said, some Trump drama uh, for our domestic takes. All right, y'all. So I'll be right back.
right, so let's wrap this up with a word on the street segment. And our first story is going to take us overseas, and we're going to be talking about the never-ending uh, Israel and Palestine conflict. Now, the Israeli military has continued its invasion through central Gaza, and they're looking to eradicate the terrorist group Hamas. And with Hamas uh, fighting back uh, out of refugee camps and all throughout the city, it does not look like the violence will stop anytime soon. Israel has also deployed its military, sorry, its navy and its air force directly hitting neighborhoods, infrastructure, and at one point last week they would kill up to over 180 Palestinians and they would also injure over 300 of them. They have also launched attacks and also threatened to go to war against uh, Lebanon if uh, a terrorist group from there named Hezbollah continues to attack their northern border. Now South Africa has gotten into the mix. They've accused Israel of inflicting a genocide uh, because at this point since October over 21,500 people uh, Palestinians mostly have lost their lives uh, and also over 55,000 have been injured and of course look at all the uh, massive you know migration and refugee stuff we have going on in that region that you know Israel is responsible for you know now again I mentioned this before uh, yes we had we, we there was a attack that was carried out by a particular group of Palestinians but when you know Israel wants to get their revenge, they're attacking these broad groups. You know, a lot of people are losing their lives, but it was just one group that attacked them. That's the problem with war. That's the problem with this conflict. Again, uh, same thing. You know, we look at the Palestinian uh, their group Hamas. You know, Hamas they went out of their way to attack innocent people. So that's what we have here. You know, you might have you know a terrorist group. That is doing some things, uh, but again, Israel seems to want to be taking it out on everybody. That's just what it looks like. Palestine is getting military support from Syria and Iraq. Iran has gotten involved as well. There is a rebel group uh, from Yemen known as the Houthis that is backed by their military, and they're targeting Israeli ships throughout the Red Sea. So it's become like a little proxy war with these different uh, Middle Eastern countries getting involved. And uh, it's just a cesspool of violence because also, uh, you know, the U.S. is involved. Uh, we've shot down, you know, you know, military equipment and aircraft or whatever missiles. So we've been getting involved as well outside of just our donations to uh, Israel's military cause. So here we are uh, getting involved in this as well. So again, it does not look like it'll stop anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, it looks like that rebel group Hamas uh, still wants to, you know, I wouldn't want to say, well, they're still active, uh, to say the least. And, you know, Israel is in that mode where, they, again, they want to eradicate them at all costs. Uh, they're killing up anybody they can get their hands on, anybody their weapons can touch, they're getting hit. And that's, and that's their, you know, that's their method to handling this. Everybody has to die. That's what it seems like to me, because one group decided to, you know, make an attack one group decided to you know step out uh so again it's unfortunate again we're going to be seeing more refugees in the next few you know days and months we're going to see here about more deaths and again that's what it comes down to. this is what we originally said you know when you know these terrorist groups they carry out their attacks you know it's the the average everyday citizen, the average everyday Israeli that was going to feel the brunt of that. Now, when the Israeli, you know, wants to get into their military bag and they want to, you know, get back at 
Hamas or Hezbollah, who gets the brunt of that? The average citizen, the regular human being. So it's unfortunate, but uh, that's what we have. And we're in a world where people just don't get along with each other and they rather see each other uh, eradicated didn't really get along with each other so that's where we at right now unfortunately in the middle east uh there's no timetable again like i said there's no time timetable for its ending and i don't know what, we, what the right solution is in that one and there is no real white right guy and uh there's so many you know particularly when you start talking about historical you know ramification and things of that nature you're starting to get into even more of a can of worms in that pandora's box so it is what it is there uh let's move on to some situations situations at home and uh, as I mentioned in this 2024 we are moving into our year of course our election year and uh, there's already some drama uh, they have taken Trump off the ballot uh, in Colorado and Republicans uh, in that state are furious they're gonna appeal the Colorado courts decision um, and uh, basically that they want the Supreme Court to get involved as well uh, now you know, the Supreme Court has kind of, you know, stayed out of it for the most part. And uh, the Colorado courts had decided to remove Trump originally because of his potential involvement or his alleged role in the January 6th riots. Uh, with the appeal, though, Trump will be put back on the ballot for the time being, uh, despite uh, basically you know him not being he him not showing up to court till about this point uh this, actually till about the 4th of January so around this time uh this was the first time in US history that a president well sorry a potential candidate had been removed from a ballot uh due to you know this type of i guess uh, i guess using section 3 of the 14th amendment which prohibits anyone who was engaged in an armed or in an insurrection or rebellion a rebellion, a rebellion from holding public office, which again makes perfect sense because why would you want to elect somebody or even have somebody on the ballot that pretty much went against the fabric of the American Constitution and uh, you know, a actual election? And you know, this is what Trump's people are probably arguing that he probably didn't incite it, he probably you know didn't. I guess, tell people exactly in those words to, you know, do what they did on January the 6th. But his problem is that uh, he was definitely in agreement with it. Uh, he definitely seemed to encourage it on social media as well. That's where social media is going to get a lot of people in trouble. You got to watch what you say, watch what you do on that motherfucker, because now, you know, they're using that against him. Uh, there was I'm pretty sure he might not have said, yes, you should go out and you should attack this or go infiltrate this or whatever. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he was like, good job. And this was an awesome thing to do, which would incite more uh, attention to the situation. So he didn't necessarily help the situation, although he might not have actually initially, you know, I guess, sparked what happened on January the 6th. But. Uh, with that being said, uh, Maine has also barred Trump from their ballot as well. Uh, they are the same. The reasoning is the same. His involvement or potential involvement in the January 6th, uh, you know, riots. And it's a quote coming from uh, Maine. The Maine Secretary of State, uh, Shana Bello, she would go on to say the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. Constitution does not tolerate an assault on the foundations of our government. So this is what pretty much his detractors are saying and the implication of his actions which if you look at some of the things that he tweeted during that time some of the things he was saying 
you could definitely make an argument for that. Now, if he would have just shut the fuck up about it, not really say a whole lot, just kind of watch things happen, and maybe, you know, again, not say a whole lot, maybe he wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, but the way he promoted or the way he talked about things during the, the riots and leading up to the riots, it definitely, definitely came off that he was, you know, at least egging something on or hoping something would happen he's not he i don't think he directly said anything per se but he definitely uh wasn't stopping nobody he definitely you could say he was strongly in a way even strongly encouraging some of this shit to happen so it is what it is he has to deal with that now um decision could only apply pretty much to the primary elections but could have more ramifications headed into november uh so meaning what i'm saying is uh basically what i'm saying is uh you know they're taking him uh, you know in colorado and maine they're taking him off the ballot for the primary election uh again unless something major happens uh he would still you know unless he well, gets locked up and is found guilty for anything uh you know if he's oh, let's say for instance he's not uh then he probably would remain on the ballot uh for november's election he could be a write-in or whatever and he would be a viable he would uh, long story short is if he's not found guilty of anything he will still be a viable candidate but you know, like I like, you know, we have to remember he is currently about to be on trial. Uh, if it hasn't started yet, his trials haven't started yet. He probably is under. Uh, he's probably had his court appearances for some of those things he's been accused of. Because remember, he has a you know track record like a mile long. You know, it's not just you know what happened on January six. You know, there's a whole bunch of you know this the situation that he uh, with the files that he took. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of you know other election things he has to you know uh, you know be on trial for you know have to be accounted for so uh it's not just january 6th so it'll be very interesting to see at this point does he you know how does he escape from all this does he escape person prosecution uh again if he does he still remains on the ballot he's still probably one of your top picks at least on the republican side uh but again there's a chance that you know he does finally face justice or does finally get locked up and that would in my opinion it should remove him from all the ballots and it shouldn't be a question at this point but i think the biggest issue is now is he hasn't been convicted of a crime and they have a point in that and so you know they still would at least want him i guess to at least be on the ballot because it's, it's fair if he's running then it, it's fair but at the same time is you got to remember I mean, this is this is the this is our these are our leaders. You know, our leaders. You know, have done all these different illegal activities. Again, we're not even talking about January the sixth. We're just talking about uh, the the security implications of. Let's just say, you know, let's just let's just you know mention about again. He stole, you know, classified materials from the U.S. government. There's things that he's done. Uh, there's elections again in 2020 that he rigged. Again, they'll say he didn't, but. Uh, it's it's really murky there. But again, there's so many other things that you, that he's on trial for, and he's you know there's situations with him giving out hush money to to hoes, and again, so many things that he's done to compromise you know U.S. the U.S. Constitution and U.S. national security. Uh, there's so many things that he's being you know grilled for right now. So again, if he happens to get out of this, he's a tef he's definitely the Teflon Don. He's a Houdini of politics. Uh, well, again, this is just like with anything else, again, a wait and see type of situation. All right, y'all, I'm calling it a wrap for today. Uh, again, if you liked what you heard today, please be sure to follow me more on Spotify. And of course, I have the YouTube channel.
channel as well i will be leaving the link for my instagram in the uh, description for the episode so please be sure to check that out and if anybody's told you yet i love you peace out one love and i'll holler at you guys later